0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, mitigate ransomware, and more. And also by Liquidware, who are a partner of Microsoft for Windows Virtual Desktop. And with FlexApp, Profile Unity, And Stratosphere UX, they have a really compelling complete suite of products to help in all of your end-user computing endeavors. And also, of course, by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. This week, The Verge have reported on a bit of a tit-for-tat partnership between AWS and Slack, seeing Amazon making Slack available to all of its employees while Slack will integrate Amazon Chime into the product for voice and video calls. It's reported that Slack will have adopted Amazon's cloud services as its preferred partner for storage, compute, database, security, analytics, machine learning, and future collaboration features. Depending on how many of Amazon's employees actually end up using Slack, this move could mean Amazon becomes the largest customer base for Slack, taking over from the current largest, which is IBM. The article also states that other AWS products like their chatbot service, for example, is also planned to be integrated with Slack. I'd imagine with Teams growth being over like 700% since the beginning of the work from home surge. Slack really needs to punch back and counter. And one of the big missing features would be voice and video calls. So this makes a lot of sense for them. And partnering with a behemoth like Amazon and AWS really makes sense. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. This week, ZDNet reports that Microsoft has published support articles that detail the automatic Edge rollout from Windows 10 version 18.03 through 20.04. The KB articles state, Microsoft has released a new Chromium-based version of Microsoft Edge. This new version provides best in class compatibility with extensions and websites. Additionally, this new version provides great support for the latest rendering capabilities, modern web applications, and powerful developer tools across all supported operating system platforms. A couple of months ago, I reported that they would be pushing the new version of Microsoft Edge to install over the old and busted Edge through updates and it looks like that's now going to start happening. No surprise there and it's a much better browser so if you haven't tried it yet, check it out. Earlier this week Ars Technica reported that six servers Cisco uses to provide a virtual networking service were compromised by hackers. The hackers exploited critical flaws contained in unpatched versions of an open source software that Cisco relies on. Cisco servers that provide backend connectivity to the Virtual Internet Routing Lab Personal Edition, or VIRL-PE, a Cisco service that lets customers design and test network topologies without having to actually deploy the equipment, became compromised. Cisco deployed the vulnerable servers on May 7th, and they were compromised that same day. The SALT vulnerabilities, which were leveraged are labeled as CVE-2020-11651 and CVE-2020-11652. It's stated that the company remediated the affected servers on the same day and has provided software updates that address these vulnerabilities, so enterprise admins that install these solutions on-premises can fix them citrix have announced that customers would be able to use okta as their identity provider for citrix workspace going forward as of this week as it is now officially generally available this is something i mentioned on the podcast multiple times i believe and i think it was even first announced two years ago at citrix synergy that this would be coming so it's good to see that it's now generally available later they also aim to include okta Integration for enumerating apps through single sign-on with Okta within Citrix Workspace, giving their end users a unified view and single point of access to all of their SaaS-based apps, web apps, and virtual apps and desktops. So that one would be pretty interesting because there is some overlap with how some customers use Okta today. They don't have any Citrix but they may be enticed with some of the citrix workspace features and may want to be able to carry over their existing published resources from okta and just integrate them so that would be pretty cool to see this week vmware announced that they are extending the general support period for vmware vsphere version 6.7 it was originally scheduled to reach end of general support on november 15th, 2021, and they are now extending it by 11 months to October 15th, 2022. The original end of technical guidance date of November 15th, 2023 still applies for this version. There is no change in supportability dates for any other vSphere releases. So obviously a lot of customers are still on version 6.7, and due to the pandemic, A lot of IT operations and major projects and migrations have been put on hold, which VMware allude to in their blog post and making this announcement. So it's pretty cool again that a major vendor like VMware and others in the past are realizing the strain that their customers are having and going that extra mile and extending the support. So good job VMware. This week, the CEO of Zoom stated that they will not encrypt free calls made on Zoom. Quote, free users, for sure, we don't want to give that because we also want to work together with the FBI, with local law enforcement, in case some people use Zoom for a bad purpose. End quote. Guess if encryption is important to you, then either pay for a a premium subscription on Zoom or find an alternative. At least I guess he's being honest about it and signaling the intent going forward. One of the best packaging tools out there, Master Packager, has had a new version released, version 20.2.7457. In this release, they've fixed all reported bugs. They redesigned the Master Wrapper and improved the Master Packager Advanced Editor UI. So a nice little incremental improvements and changes in the product. And by the way, if you have never tried out Master Packager, their free version, their community version, I think it's just a free version, not even just a community version, is well worth a look. And if, like me, you've used something like Instead in the past, which hasn't had a new release in quite some time, Master Packager is the best alternative and really it's much superior to instead in its feature set. You can even do things like creating response transforms with Master Packager which I'm not aware of any other packaging tool that allows you to do that without paying for a license so check it out. Last week it was announced that Microsoft was laying off its news team with suggestions they would rely instead on Artificial intelligence for curating their news based on trends. A little bit of a dystopian nightmare, really, but I think a lot of other outlets are already doing that. I know Facebook definitely was doing that. Well, rumors started floating around this week that a hundred people are at risk of losing their job with the closure of Sophos's naked security blog, which I've used as a source many times for this podcast. I really hope the blog is saved because it's a really valuable asset for the community and I really like how concise their InfoSec related blog posts are and they've done some research that they've put out into the community that has been pretty valuable in the past so it would be terrible to lose that. This week ZDNet reported that a class action lawsuit has been filed that alleges Google has been tracking and collecting consumer browsing history and other web activity data even when using incognito mode. The complaint filed to the District Court of Northern California claims Google tracks users browsing data and other identifying information through Google Analytics, Google Ad Manager, and various other apps and website plugins, such as Google Applications on mobile devices and the Google Sign In button for websites, regardless of what mode the browser is running in. Some of the personal information listed in the class action lawsuit includes users' IP addresses, what the user is viewing, what the user last viewed, and details about the user's hardware. The class action will be open to anyone that owns an Android device and viewed a website page containing Google Analytics or Ad Manager while in a private browsing mode on that device, and individuals with a Google account who accessed a website page containing those services using a non-Android device in that private browsing mode. This class action lawsuit seeks $5,000 in damages per user. Or three times the actual damages, whichever is greater for the alleged invasion of privacy and is expected to consist of millions of individuals. So that would be very, very damaging to Google if the lawsuit proves successful. And if the damages being requested are is what's delivered if they are found to be guilty. It would be interesting to see if there's going to be anything that's maybe time-specific due to the changes or recent changes in California state law on data privacy. So this is going to be definitely one to watch. Stefan Dingmas shared a post that he saw on the Microsoft tech community this week that states that Microsoft are investigating an issue with deploying a Windows Virtual Desktop host based on the new May 2020 update image. After the deployment, it said that the host will not be accessible through WVD. The community form contains a workaround, and it was confirmed that this workaround was working with Windows 10 version 2004 as recently as Friday. So if you're running into problems with the latest image, you may want to check out this link which I'll share with this episode, which is episode 127 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Tom Hickling of Microsoft shared the fact that MSIX App Attach no longer requires you to run a specific Windows Insider Preview version of Windows 10. You can try it out with the 2004 version. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Well, as I just mentioned, Tom Hickling of Microsoft shared that information about being able to try out MSIX App Attach on Windows 10 version 2004. Well this week the awesome Jeremy Moskowitz shared an article and a really awesome video with step by step on how to try out MSIX App Attach for yourself and the steps that Jeremy gives you is by far the easiest way to achieve this. You can do this without having to first create your own MSIX packages. And he stumbled through some of it himself, has seen what the pitfalls are, and he's able to warn you about them and make sure that you have all the requirements in place before you begin. I think the video, I haven't checked just before recording this, but I think the video specifies the specific version of the Windows 10 preview that you needed which Tom now says that you can use 2004. So for that part, you probably don't need to worry about getting onto that specific version of Windows 10 that's mentioned. But the rest of it, definitely, you'll want to know. So if you're interested in trying out MSIX App Attach, definitely do it following this guide. And I'll share a link to that with this episode again, which is episode 127 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links right at the top. And in another tip for this week, I suggest you check out the recently posted Microsoft documents on Azure Windows Virtual Desktop PowerShell Reference Guide for Windows Virtual Desktop. It basically includes all of the available PowerShell commandlets for the AZWVD module. So if you're working with Windows Virtual Desktop, you'll definitely want to check that out and get familiar with it. Will Van Antwerpen on Twitter posted this week. A pretty simple tip that if you're working with applications regularly, you probably already know. But if you're not, it's definitely one that's worth knowing. And that is the fact that you can use 7-Zip to look inside binaries such as .dll and .exe files. It shows things like bitmaps, icons, version .txt, string .txt, offsets, virtual addresses, and more. So there's some really rich information in there that can help you when Troubleshooting application packages and just packaging up apps or wrapping applications. This week, Guy Leach, who, by the way, just became a Microsoft MVP. So congratulations, Guy. That's awesome. There's probably no one more deserving. So congratulations. But back to the script, our tip. Guy shared a PowerShell commandlet for writing messages that could be displayed in SysInternal's debug view. This could be really handy when troubleshooting issues. So you could imagine maybe using this kind of like, I don't know, I guess my primitive mind, I might put in a message box as like a breakpoint within my code in like a VB script or in PowerShell or something like that. Well, that was more what I did in VB script. I usually just do a write within PowerShell. But there are a lot of instances when using that debug view might make sense for like a third-party application or for a certain process running and you may want to be able to capture say okay I know that the issue happens after this point so it might be happening at this part of the process or maybe at this part of the process well it might not actually be logging what part of the process it's at when it's failing within just what comes up in the debug view output So without doing something yourself, you might not know what point it's at. So doing something like what Guy suggests, this handy PowerShell commandlet that I'm going to share with this episode, that could really help you out. I hope that was a good explanation. Also this week, Christian Brinkoff shared a step-by-step guide that's really in-depth, just like all of his Windows Virtual Desktop content, on how to install and configure Microsoft Teams with AV redirection media optimizations on Windows Virtual Desktop. I think it was just on last week's episode of the podcast that I talked about the fact that Microsoft Teams was going to be supported on Windows Virtual Desktop in preview officially from last week. And that's something with the work-from-home surge that's become much, much more important for organizations. So if you want to try it out for yourself... Following this guide from Christian is by far the easiest and best way to do that. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.